Well, good morning. If you don't, good morning. It is a good morning. If you don't know me, my name is John Bechtel, and I serve as the executive pastor here at EBF. And you may wonder, what does that mean? What does an executive pastor do? Well, simply put, I take the vision that Pastor Jason and the rest of the elders give, and I try and execute it. And the way I try and execute it is working with the staff and working with you um, to help empower you to do the work of ministry. That's what I get to do every week. That's my job, and I think it's a great one. And for you old-timers, you may find this hard to believe, but this month marks seven years for me and my family serving here at EBF. That's not what I was trying to do. What I did want to say is during that time, I've had the privilege of working with and doing life with our pastor, Jason Lancaster, and his family on a daily basis, literally on a daily basis. If you don't know, there's one house between our homes. And I'm always going to be grateful for his friendship and for his partnership in the gospel. And I'm grateful for Jason. There's much to appreciate about him, and I just want to encourage you. If you have not encouraged your pastor lately, please do so. Encourage him. Being a pastor can be a challenging and lonely job, so please encourage your pastor. One of the many things I appreciate about Jason is is what he does every week right here in this pulpit. He is open and honest and vulnerable about his life. And I like to follow his example and start um, this message with a personal reflection of my own. You know, if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard Pastor Jason talk about his life before Christ came and got a hold of him. And one of the things, I've talked to him about this, that, that he say marks his life was that he wasn't a very nice person. But you see, I was the opposite. I was the nice guy. I was really nice. I was super nice. It was a title that I worked hard to earn. It was something that that all good church kids excel at, right? It was my job. It was my responsibility. Let me just share a couple of brief stories to, to illustrate this point. At the end of my high school years, I had a girl come up to me and she said, John, you're so nice. You're just the type of guy I want to marry. But right now, I want to have a good time. Thank the Lord. (laughs) My sophomore year of college, I um, went to visit a... I went to a school where guys and girls didn't live together, and I went over to a girl's floor with some of my friends, and I engaged in a five-minute disagreement with a young lady um, who insisted that I could not have been a college football player because I was too nice. I was too nice. She said, no, yes, no, yes. What are you going to do? I was too nice. And then finally, at the end of my college career, I was working at this funky frozen yogurt pastry uh, coffee shop. And I had just given a, a, little pastry, uh, a little pastry to a little old lady for free. And I went back to tell my manager that I had done this and I was going to pay for it. He sat me down and he proceeded to, to chew me out for for talking too long to customers, for being too friendly, for holding up the line. And in short, he said this to me. He said, John, you are too nice for retail. So that was me. I was the nice guy. Now, before you think I'm bragging or I'm trying to throw Jason under the bus, that's not the point. You see, being not nice in some ways is being honest and being genuine. See, there's a dark underside, there's a dark underbelly to being nice. And you see, here's what being a nice guy reinforced in me. 
See, being nice at the end of the day was about me. It was a way for me to attempt to control and order my world with the goal of getting what I wanted. Being nice taught me that life was about manipulation. I could get what I want by how I acted. And being nice taught me that people really were objects. People were either there to give me what I wanted or stood in the way of what I wanted. I needed to manipulate them through my actions to get a desired response. If I, if I wanted to please them and make them like me, I'd be nice. If I wanted something from them, I'd be nice. If I didn't think they had anything to offer me, I, I, I would not be nice or I'd discard the relationship. You see, people become disposable commodities when the goal is being nice. But more than that, being nice turned my life into a performance. You see, because life is about manipulating people and getting what I wanted from them, I was always on. I had to do things and say things that I thought you wanted to hear. And clearly, genuine care and concerns for others cannot exist while you're performing through life. Finally, being nice taught me to hide. When you're focused with people's manipulation, the truth about myself or, or what I perceived in others would never come up. I would never allow it. And I could never show how I really felt. I could never fully share what was going on. So in short, being nice did this to me. It helped me become a more selfish, manipulative, objectifying, disingenuine performer. Now, as a recovering nice guy, I have to say that these false beliefs haunt me to this day, and I fight against them daily. And so, if you're a recovering nice person, and you know what I mean when I say that, I'd like you to listen. You know, it's interesting. Scripture doesn't talk about nice. It doesn't. But it does address kindness. And while nice can masquerade as kindness for a time, they're, they're really fundamentally different at the core. In fact, they're almost, almost opposite by definition. You see, nice is about me. Kindness, as we'll see, is about others. Nice puts up with people. Kindness develops people. Nice manipulates. Kindness cares. Nice assumes the worst in people. Kindness assumes the best. Nice objectifies people. Kindness honors people. Nice hides. Kindness brings light. Nice performs. Kindness provides and protects. This summer we've been going through the fruit of the Spirit, those virtues which were called in Galatians 5.22 to put on. And if you don't remember the list, they're this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And today we're focusing on kindness. Just real quick to give you an outline, we're going to try and define kindness. I'm going to offer three ways that I think we can cultivate kindness in our lives, and then I want to leave us with a kindness challenge. Now, with as, as with all fruits of the Spirit, God starts and grows it. But we are called to work hard to cultivate kindness in our hearts, again, through the power of the Spirit. I just want to stress, while only he can produce these virtues in us, we must work to develop kindness in our lives. But, you know, this call, this call is more than mere cultivation. We are commanded to be kind. In the Old Testament, we see the prophets. God, we see in the prophets, God commands his people to be kind. 
In Zechariah 7.9, we see the prophet is instructed to tell God's people what? He's instructed to tell them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. The prophet Micah goes so far as to say that kindness is a required virtue for God's people. In this familiar passage, what does he say? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. In the New Testament, we look at the end of chapter 4 in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is calling the Ephesians and all of us to put off certain vices and to put on and embrace certain virtues. And in this call to put on virtue, we hear the echo that the uh, Old Testament prophets had to say about kindness. Ephesians 4.32, again, another very familiar verse to us. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So kindness is to be cultivated. More than that, it's a required virtue of God's people. It's commanded. But at the end of the day, what is kindness? What is it? Well, in the New Testament, the word is translated in a variety of different ways. And this is, this is what I got from the theologians. Sympathetic kindliness, sweetness of temper, or tender concern. I think boiled down, it simply means goodwill. Goodwill. But, you know, it's more than just simple goodwill. The word is almost always used um, in these, in these uh, Christian list of Christian virtues, like we see in the fruit of the Spirit or the love chapter in, in 1 Corinthians 13. I'd just like to read those again to you. Uh, again to you. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient and kind. Galatians 6, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. To help you get a better understanding of kindness, it's interesting to note, look at what it's always partnered with. Kindness is always partnered with patience. You wonder, why, why would it go with patience? Well, if you look at it more closely, you realize that, that kindness and patience are really two sides of the coin when it comes to love in action. Think about it this way. Patience is love in action because it actively puts up with the ill will or foolishness of one person towards you. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's love and action because you're actively putting up with ill will or foolishness towards you. It's receiving actions with love. And kindness is love and action because it actively seeks to benefit the other person. You're actively giving love. I like how one theologian put it. He said, if long-suffering, patience, means not to chew someone's head off, Kindness means to find ways to actively show mercy to them, to take the towel and wash basin in hand and wash their feet. So kindness is an active thing. It's an active expression of love or goodwill. Kindness is action. It's also very, very closely related to the next fruit of the Spirit, goodness. If goodness describes a person's character, kindness describes how that goodness is expressed. So think about it. If you're in a cave all by yourself for years, you can be good, right? You can be good. That's your character. But you can't be kind. There's nobody in that cave to be kind to. 
So by definition, kindness needs other people. Kindness requires relationship. At its core, kindness is other-centered. It's a command. It involves active expression of goodwill, and it requires relationship. So with all that said, here's my shot at a definition of this fruit of the Spirit, this virtue called kindness. Kindness, a Spirit-empowered goodwill, actively demonstrated towards another in word and deed for the benefit of that person. Spirit-empowered goodwill, actively demonstrated toward another in word and deed for the benefit of that person. So, we have a working definition of, of kindness from Scripture. Now what? As with any fruit of the Scripture, we need to work hard to cultivate kindness. Let me offer three ways for us to work, for you and I to work on cultivating kindness in our lives. How to cultivate kindness. Number one, remember the cause of kindness, God himself. Remember the cause of kindness, God himself. We know that all virtue comes from God. He is the creator of virtue. God himself demonstrates kindness towards his creation from the very beginning. Consider what the Psalms say. Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. Active, ongoing goodwill, kindness towards everything. That is who God is. That is what he does. Look at Psalm 106.1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love, or loving kindness, endures how long? Forever. Or Psalm 105, same, this echoes the same thing. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love, or loving kindness, endures forever. We can thank God, according to the psalmist, because his act of goodwill never ends. Ever. Kindness forever. So the psalms are clear. They declare God good. Further, we are called to thank him for his goodness, that he actively extends to all creation for all time. That is kindness defined. He is the author and source of all kindness. And throughout the Old Testament, we see God's kindness express itself over and over again. He expresses kindness in his provision and protection in nature, in the events of history, to certain people at certain times, to the poor, to those who follow him, to those who hope and trust in him, to those who fear him, and on and on and on. Until we come to the New Testament and we witness the ultimate act of kindness in the history of the universe. The God-man, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for you and me while we were hopelessly lost and dead in our sins. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, where we've already been, we hear the Apostle Paul calling us to be kind and tender-hearted at the end of the chapter. But two chapters before, he gives us a beautiful example of God's kindness towards us. Turn in your Bibles to, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. You know, he starts off by explaining how all of us were dead and hopelessly lost in our sin. But then we see this ultimate act of kindness expressed Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4, and I want you to read it in the lens of God's act of goodwill towards us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace you have been saved and raised, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his kind, grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then we come to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Some of the most quoted verses in the Bible regarding the good news or the gospel. Now think about this. It is written in the context of God's gracious kindness towards us. You see that in verse 7. This kindness that he will show to us forever. If you're a Christian, listen with a new ear to how these verses display God's everlasting kindness towards you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For those who receive this free gift, look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You are saved. You have received a free gift that you can never repay. And it's not on you. You don't hold the terrible weight of responsibility of earning your salvation. You are new. You are God's beautiful new creation. And you have a new design. You're made to do good. You're not made to sin against God. And your Father's been planning this for all eternity. All eternity. He now has a new way for you to walk in. You have a new life to live. That is kindness that God has extended to you, brother and sister in Christ. That is God's kindness to you. He saved us all. He brought us all from death to life. He's given us hope, a future, a new purpose. All of this is a free gift to any who would accept it. How awesome is God's kindness? How awesome is it towards us? So you want to cultivate kindness? Remember God. Remember his goodness and how he expressed that in your life. Remember that who you were apart from God. Remember the ultimate act of kindness he expressed on your behalf in sending Jesus. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember the power that you do have to actually live as a kind person. Remember that you are a child of God and act like it. Remember that you have received the ultimate kindness. So how to cultivate kindness? Remember the cause of kindness, God himself. I love how one theologian put it. He said, this Christian kindness is a lovely thing. And its loveliness comes from the fact that Christian kindness means treating others in the way in which God has treated us. Remember the kindness you've received from God. Remember you are the child of God. As his child, you should act like him. So first, we cultivate kindness by actively and intentionally remembering God's kindness towards us. Okay, that's good. We talk about a relationship with God, but what about the actual relational interactions that we have? Here's step two in cultivating kindness. Consider the context of kindness, relationships. Consider the context of kindness. Now I just gave you a beautiful, hopefully wonderful picture of God's kindness towards you. Now let's... Let's uh, get a little down and dirty here. 
Let's talk about your relationship with others. Because kindness is expressed in relationship, they're really the best barometer to examine how we are actually cultivating kindness. And to help think this through, I, I'd like you to take a relational inventory. I have a few tests for us all. So here are the tests we're going to consider. I have five tests to offer here. First is the anger test. The anger test. And I just have some questions for you. You can write these down and answer them later. I really encourage you to go through these. The anger test. When was the last time you were angry and why? When was the last time you were angry and why? Were you angry because others were being hurt or harmed or because you were being imposed on by others? Were you angry because others were being hurt and harmed or because you were being imposed on by others? The anger test. Here's a fun one, the family test. What do your family or roommates say about you? Do your daily choices revolve more around you and your own comfort or the needs of others? Do your daily choices revolve more around you and your own comfort or the needs of others? The family test. Here's another fun one, the word test. You use your words to build others up or to defend yourself and your agenda. Do you use your words to build others up or to defend yourself and your own agenda? The word test. A fourth test is the value test. How do you treat those who you, who you believe don't really have anything to offer you? How do you treat those who you believe don't really have anything to offer you? And the last one is the deal test. Do you make dirty deals? Do you make dirty deals? Do you do something kind with the hidden expectation that that person will do something kind for you? Do you do something kind with the hidden expectation that that person will do something for you? Do you expect repayment, repayment or reimbursement for your actions towards others? Do you expect repayment or reimbursement for your actions towards others? I really want to encourage you to take these tests. And if you're really courageous, do it with your spouse, your roommate, your parents, or your children. Do it in the context of relationship. It's a great barometer for you to see if this, this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is really alive in you, that you're developing this virtue. We want to grow in kindness. We need to work hard at keeping watch over our attitudes and actions in our day-to-day -day relationships. So we cultivate kindness by remembering God's kindness and by regularly testing our actions and motives and relationships. But let me propose one more way that we can cultivate kindness in our lives. Three, we refocus on the content of kindness, the truth. We refocus on the content of kindness, the truth. Kindness, by its very nature, it has to be true. It has to be true. We really don't help people by not telling them the truth. Now, of course, there's a time and a way to communicate wisely and effectively, but we need to be appropriate with our self-disclosure. We all agree with that. That's true. But so often, especially when we're trying to be nice, we don't want to rock the boat. We 
don't want to cause trouble. We just want to be nice. But at the end of the day, isn't withholding the truth from someone about how they are living in a way that is harmful or against God's plan or design for their life, isn't that the most unkind thing you can do? I remember my sophomore year of high school, my track coach sat me down and we watched video of me jumping through the shot put ring. My grizzled old coach, Hugo de Groot, sat me down and he spent a long time with me. And this was old 8 millimeter going back and forth watching me jump across the ring. The poor guy had to do that for a long time. And he was going on and on. He was telling me how I was dropping my shoulder, not getting my push leg underneath me. Enough in transition. I was losing my focal point too quickly. Now, for the three people who have thrown the shot foot, you know what that means. Um, but I remember sitting there going, I'm thinking to myself, wow, somebody watched me. Somebody took the time to tell me what I was doing wrong. How awesome is this? And I went out there. And probably, I, threw, I, I threw about three feet farther that week because Coach DeGroote took the time to sit down with me. I think we all need to be a little bit more like Coach DeGroote. We need to have the other's best interests in mind and care enough about them to be willing to point out what was wrong and what we see that's harmful in their lives. Remember, kindness is, is goodwill expressed in word and in deed to another for their benefit. One of the kindest things we can do is tell people the truth about their lives. In John 8, 32, Jesus tells those who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, of course, he was speaking the truth about himself as found in the word of God. And this truth is the good news that he would provide a way for sinners to be saved. He told them the truth with the offer of everlasting spiritual freedom in him that is offered and explained in his word, the Bible. And that is the ultimate truth that brings ultimate freedom. But I want to propose that, that all truth leads to freedom. Just as light exposes the dark, truth frees people from lies and the lack of understanding. And as God's children, we need to be about telling the truth. First and foremost, the ultimate truth found in the person and work of Jesus, we need to be telling everyone about that, but also in our day-to-day -day lives, we need to be kind to others by telling the truth about them. I hope you see how kind the truth can be. As Christians, we want to strive to live gospel lives, right? Helping people walk in the truth and be set free. There's no kindness without truth. You know, you've already seen the command in Ephesians 4.32 to be kind and tenderhearted. But if you look at that chapter, in chapter 4, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, you see that Paul begins by explaining how we are part of one body through the Spirit, through Christ. We are part of one body. But he goes on to say that in order to not be um, carried away by lies and deceit, we do what? Look at verse 15, Ephesians 4.15. We speak the truth in love. Why? So the body grows and builds itself up. This is our call. This is our call as followers of Jesus. This is our call as being part of the body of Christ. Now look, I know this is scary. 
We can't control how somebody else is going to respond. We're not going to do that. But think about it. Are you ever actively demonstrating goodwill towards someone by not telling them what is true? No, there's nothing active or good. There's nothing active or good in that. Now, some warnings. We must be gentle. We'll be hearing about that next week. We also need to check ourselves and ask if what we want to share is really for their benefit, not just our own. But we are called to be kind and we're called to speak the truth, which means we need to be courageous. So, I have a question for all of the nice people in the room. Are there any relationships where you are withholding the truth for the sake of your ease and the detriment of that person? Are there any relationships where you are withholding the truth for the sake of your ease and the detriment of that person? Maybe you need to set up a meeting this week and work hard to cultivate your kindness by speaking the truth in love. One final note. The truth doesn't always have to be about something bad or something wrong. Maybe there's somebody you just need to go tell the truth about how, they're, how well they're doing or how they're growing or how you see God working in their lives. Maybe you read someone who they are in Christ. All of these things are true and good, so be kind this week. Encourage someone with these good truths as well. So we want to cultivate kindness in, in our lives. Remember the kindness we have received from God. Remember you are a child of God. We are called to act like him. Take a relational inventory. Make some changes. Step out and speak the truth in love. And like I mentioned before, I'd like to wrap things up by giving us all a kindness challenge for the upcoming year. I think we're, I think we're pretty good at being nice. But I want to challenge us to move beyond being nice into real spirit-led kindness. I want us to cultivate that this year. The first challenge we're simply going to call Eat, Love, Pray. And throughout this summer, you've heard us talk about this concept of Eat, Love, Pray. And here's what we're wanting to see. Guys, it's a basic idea. We want to be reaching out to those around us by inviting them into our homes and sharing a meal. Eat. We then want to engage with them. We want to engage with them about their lives, but ultimately to engage with them with the gospel, with the truth. Love. And then we want to pray. Then we want to commit to actively praying for them. We want to eat, love, pray. This is a simple and easy and wonderful way to be kind. You know, I'd ask for you to pray about this. I'd ask for you in a couple weeks when our ethos communities gather, for you to have some names of some folks that you would like to invite to your home. Share them with the ethos community. Help them keep you accountable. Let's get people into our home who we can be kind to. There's nothing more kind in the world than helping someone meet Jesus. Which leads to challenge number two. If you see there's an insert in your bulletin, take that out, please. We have a 10-week course starting up at the end of September. It's called Alpha. And I'm just going to read what it says here on this card. Alpha is a 10-week course that gives guests an opportunity to explore the meaning of life. Listen, learn, discuss, and discover. Ask anything. And you see the times there. And you see you can RSVP. 
Today is September 1st. This course starts the last day of September. So you have a month. You have a month to bring this up with friends, to invite them, and to bring them to Alpha. And why should you bring them to Alpha? Because this is a place where they can ask questions, the important questions about faith, about life, about God, and also a place where they can hear the truth from God's Word about who they are apart from Christ, who Jesus Christ is, what He has come to do in their lives. Now you'd be thinking 10 weeks is a big commitment. Because we'd not like you just to invite them to come. We'd like you to invite them to come, and we'd like you to come with them and participate. 10 weeks is a big commitment. But 10 weeks for eternity. Think about the payoff. 10 weeks for eternity. 10 weeks of sitting with your friends and discussing these questions. I can think of few more kind things to do. Again, there's no better or greater way to actively demonstrate goodwills towards another in word or deed for the benefit of that person than by intentionally bringing them to a place where God's truth and God's kindness are displayed. And we have it here for you. Today we're going to end the service by hearing the testimonies of two people who have personally experienced the kindness of God. They have received the free gift of salvation they have given him their lives, and they want to obey him by getting baptized. And right after the service, we're going to be driving to Lake Michigan. The directions are on the welcome table, and we're going to joyfully celebrate with these folks. It's going to be a great time, and I hope you'll join us. Last year, we had three people who attended the Alpha Course uh, come forward for baptism, gave their lives to Jesus. What would it look like if at our next baptism service, Dozens of people came forward to be baptized because they experienced the great kindness of God that had been made new, all because you took the time to be kind to them and invite them to a place where they could have their questions answered. What would it look like? What would it do in our own lives? How would it increase our worship? How would it increase the way we, our picture of God? How would it increase our excitement for the faith? And all this could happen because you took up a challenge to show kindness to your friends and neighbors. Kevin Sheehan, one of our pastoral interns. Kevin, where are you? Putting you on the spot. Kevin's up there. See Kevin up there? He's heading up Alpha this year. Um, if you have any questions, you can see him. But he wanted to convey three main ways that you can be uh, caring for Alpha and, and participating. First is prayer. The second is he needs some meals. Uh, it's going to be a, a, during the week. If, you're, if that's something you... If you're doing, you're gifted at, please talk to him. But the main and most important way is to invite people and to come with them. Ten weeks. Such a small investment for eternity. I want to close now by speaking to two groups of people. I hope you'll take up one of these challenges. The first group, first group of people, it's simple. You may be here and you may be wondering, what is this kindness of God? What is this gospel? What is this good news? I just want to say to you very clearly and very simply that God is perfect and holy and beautiful and just and good. And by our choices and by the way we were born, we have sinned. We have willfully chosen to do what he has not um, wanted us to do. Because God is so perfect, 
That which is sinful or wrong cannot exist before him. But in his goodness and kindness, he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life here on this earth and to die a death of perfect obedience. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He conquered death. He defeated sin. And now he just offers a free gift. It's not about what church you go to. It's not about, it's not about anything else except Jesus and what he has done. It's a free gift for you to accept. If that's something that you're interested in, in talking learning more about, please come talk to me. Talk to someone. It's the greatest and most important thing, discussion you can ever have in your life and decision you can ever make. I want you to experience the goodness and the kindness of God if you're in that first group. And finally, to the EBF family, let's not be content with just being nice. Let's move past that. May we grow and cultivate this fruit of the Spirit in us, this kindness. May we all take up these challenges. May we reach out in Spirit-led kindness. May we share what we've already received. May the Lord continue to add to those who are being saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the kindness you have extended to us. You are so good. And you are so perfect, you're so righteous, and yet in your goodness you did not forget about us. You reached out and you actively pursued when we were dead. You actively pursued us. We praise you for that. Thank you for that. May we as your children do the same for the good of others and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.